How's everybody doing? Doing good? Somebody gave a woo. I don't know who that was, but wow. I'm going to hang out with you, whoever just did that. <clears throat> hey, we're, uh, we're uh, studying through the book of 2 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible and you, you need a Bible or maybe just didn't bring your Bible, uh, there'll be some people coming down the middle here in just a little bit holding up Bibles. But if you have your Bibles, you can turn them to uh, 2 Corinthians 8, where we're going to be today. So I'll just kind of give you a heads up. We, we've been teaching through this book now for the last few months, uh, where we've arrived to over this, this, this week and last week, and then we'll continue on for another couple weeks, is around where Paul is going to describe in chapters 8 through 9, just this idea of what does it mean to, to give. Now, let me just let me say this from the outset. This particular two chapters, they're all about Paul calling for them to give this one-time gift to the to the Jerusalem church, which was in dire straits, and so they needed financial support. It, uh, in it, it's not speaking necessarily about the regular practice of giving, which we'll start talking about a little bit more uh, next week. But I think what's really important in this is that there are principles that are so key to us as Christians. Now listen to me. I, I know there's some of you in here that are unbelievers. You, you, you don't follow Jesus Christ. And the instant that I start talking about giving, you automatically go, see, that's what the church is. It's just a bunch of people that are there to take your money so that the pastor can go live this lavish lifestyle with his beautiful Lamborghini and his 20, you know, car garage and his uh, 30 bed uh, house. And, and mine's just a touch smaller than that. And my car is just a little bit different than that. But I can assure you today, let me just say this. If you've never given yourself to Jesus, we don't want you to give today. Like, that's really not why we're here, because we believe off of what we learned last week, that God is not after our money. He's after us. And once he captures us, yes, he will have our money. But this is the key to this. Giving is for God's people who have not only given themselves to him, but continue to give themselves to them. They've experienced the extravagant grace of Jesus Christ. And in experiencing that extravagant grace of Jesus Christ, in proportion to our understanding of it, we just love to be generous. That's really all Paul's trying to say here in regards to helping them to understand it. Those who have truly encountered the Christ of the scriptures will have no problem loosening their hands from their stuff because they'll realize, like Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians, that you've been bought with a price. You are no longer your own. Everything that you have now is situated and formed to the glory of Jesus. And we're great with that. That's why later he's going to say it's a joy to give. We love to be these joyful givers. Now, saying all of that and putting that all together, Paul finished with this idea that God's resources are global. This is where we finished last week in, in chapter 8, verses 13 through 15. That God disperses to his people what they need all over the world. And he intends for his resources to be shared in such a way that we don't build just our little K kingdom. But more importantly, we join God in building the capital K kingdom. The big picture of God's rule and reign encompassing this entire world and bringing the greatness and the goodness of Jesus to them. Now in the back of people's heads though, and I would say this. There is no greater killer of grace in giving than when leaders within a church misappropriate the money that has been given. 
So those of you sitting out there with questions in your head wondering, yeah, but what are they going to do with it? How are they going to use it? Are they just bilking me for their, for their, for your money, for my particular, uh, for my money? I understand where you've come from because church history is littered, literally littered with people as leaders that have taken advantage of people that have fleeced the flock for their own gain. Case in point, I need to catch up with my slides, so don't let me forget to get behind here. Okay. I don't think you have to be a church historian for very long to figure out that the church truly does have just a long, sordid history of how we've managed money. So let's just throw that on the table right away so that we can deal with it. In fact, one of the particular branches of Christianity called Roman Catholicism has had centuries and centuries of and history of popes that have taken advantage of people in order to build what you now see as Vatican City and just the largesse of what it is and the amount that they have. Now, I'm going to pick on Protestants here in a little bit. So if you're a Catholic, don't worry, I'm going to get to Protestants. But one of the guys is Pope Leo X. Isn't he a good-looking man? Pope Leo X was uh, the head of the Roman Catholic Church from 1513 to 1521. Now, one of the things that he did that was so outrageous was he continued on this practice of what were called indulgences. Now, indulgences probably weren't started by him. They were probably started by this great-looking character, uh, Santa Claus. No, his name is Pope Julius II. And in fact, they all probably started in order to fund one of the greatest artworks ever, is that the Roman Catholic Church took from the poor all over Europe to fund Michelangelo painting all over the Sistine Chapel. So the next time you look at those wonderful works of art, just understand vast amounts of poor people were robbed in order to paint those. Just try to ruin your experience if you go, just so you know. But it was all carried out by this little man, Johann Tetzel. Again, what a good-looking man. All the men during the 1500s were gorgeous. He was a man that would go around preaching within Germany, and the whole goal of his preaching was to fund the finishing of the work of St. Peter's Basilica, to finish the Sistine Chapel. Now, anybody that knows this, at that particular time in 1517, when Martin Luther, when he penned the 95 Theses and nailed them to the door, the chief reason for why he penned them was all around indulgences, because he saw the church robbing the people, fleecing them to build these extravagant things. In other words, there's a reason for people to go, uh, I don't know if I trust the church. So let's fast forward a little bit to this fine looking couple. Anybody know who this is? Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, right? Now, if you know anything about them, they uh, they were the, the couple that basically started PTL, a huge uh, network that was kind of all over the world during the, especially the 80s. Uh, Jim Baker, if you know anything about him, was eventually convicted uh, and imprisoned. He's currently in prison. They divorced. But here's where I think people get a little nervous. Towards the end of kind of their work with PTL, they decided they were going to start Heritage USA, which was a gigantic amusement park, basically for, for Christians, because all Christians need gigantic amusement parks. Just ask Jesus. And so in starting these, they begin to then sell this particular uh, 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 Heritage USA. 
And they got thousands and thousands of people to contribute with the hopes that they would get a four-day annual pass and they would get to stay on the grounds. And little did they know the place they would stay was a 48-person bunkhouse that really wasn't that great. In the end, it ended up going to not because they went bankrupt. And this picture actually is all that's left of that particular Heritage USA. People just felt like they got built. Enter Benny Hinn. Now, the only reason, again, I'm even picking on him is that he's a guy that lately has come under the eye of a lot of people out there as they watch TV because he has lavish houses, lavish cars. He does lavish vacations. When he goes and speaks, he doesn't just stay anywhere. He stays in lavish places. And so Dateline NBC actually began to look into him. And even one of our senators, Senator Grassley, decided he needed to look into it. Now, I'm, I'm bringing all this up not to pick on anybody, but just to state the simple fact, there is a reason that when people look at the church and how we deal with money, they are skeptical. About 10 years ago, I was in Uganda. And while I was there, I was preaching, I was teaching, and I was teaching through the books of, uh, of the New Testament, and I was just finished teaching First and Second Corinthians. And after I had got done, we were on break, and a young man came up to me, and he was just sobbing. And I couldn't understand everything that he was saying, but he kept repeating to me this one statement over and over again, why won't God bless me? Well, at first I thought we had a sin issue, so I'm trying to work through the gospel to make sure we understand the gospel correctly. We're we're walking it through over and over again. And finally, I was able to get him settled down long enough that we could understand each other. And he began to tell me an absolutely horrible story. That particular year, right before I came to teach, this particular man, Benny Hinn, came to Uganda. One of the things that he promised the people there is that if they would give, that then God would bless them. In fact, one of the passages he used is what we looked at last week is 2 Corinthians 8 9, in which it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become what? Rich. In that particular venue, everyone was told that Jesus wants to make you rich, missing the fact that the richness that we have is we have all things in Christ Jesus. But he was sobbing. He'd given up what is equivalent to two to three months of salary, giving it to Benny Hinn, which the reason I told you about all the stuff he had is that Benny Hinn didn't need this man's money. In fact, the passage we're looking at today should have been done in the opposite. Benny Hinn should have been giving to this young pastor. It cost him, though, financially. It cost him his home. He had a wife and a young kid, and we begin to walk through together just this idea that this passage has nothing to do with you give and God will make you rich. Now again, I'm bringing this up not to pick on anybody, but just to state this reality. People don't trust the church, and that means the church has to go overboard to demonstrate our integrity with money. And that's what I want to do today. I want to make sure that you understand that the heart of Cornerstone has always been that as we deal with money, we don't handle it perfectly. I don't want to come across that way. There's so many evidence throughout our history, which I think, oh, we could have spent some money differently and done some different things. 
But I'll tell you this, this particular passage of scripture has shaped my understanding of how the church in our time period, because that's what Paul was doing. He was amidst a bunch of Corinthians. If you remember my right, they were us and we're them. They did not trust the church and money. That means we as a church must go above and beyond, not just to not cause a stumbling block within our church, but to make sure our world knows we are not after their money. That is not what we need. Our God owns all things. Our God does not need anything. But yet he's crying out to the world, beckoning them to come and to follow Jesus. And that's what we're about. Now, in this particular context, and this is important to where we're going, is I think that the question that the Corinthians were asking is a question that so many have asked, which is, can I trust who or what I'm giving to? I think that's a big question. Can I really trust who or what I'm giving to? Because this, let me just say this, money and ministry matters to God. Now, in the case of the Corinthians, what was going on was, is they'd become nervous to give for certain reasons. Now, the reasons that they had become nervous had everything to do that these false teachers that we've been telling you about came into town. And when they came into Corinth, they began to teach the people that while Paul wasn't working, while he was working and not accepting anything from them, that Paul was actually doing other things in order to fleece you as the people. Now, you'll see this like in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians 12, 14, where, where Paul says this. He says, look, a third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden. He was being honest. I am not going to be a burden to you, for I seek not what is yours, but you. Do you understand why I said God is not after your money? He's after what? You. And I will not be a burden, he says, but instead, for children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, I am to be loved, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent you? I urged Titus to go and I sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? In other words, he's saying, listen to me. I did not in any way financially take advantage of you. No matter what these leaders might say, I didn't take your money. And this didn't mean that there was not some other way I was going to do it. So his point was, don't think that this offering now is going to become this means for me to be able to come rich. His whole idea of giving had nothing to do with taking their money, but to help them to understand who Jesus was and to grow in who Jesus was. He says, that's why I, I came to you. No other reason. Now, again, in the back of their heads, because I think Paul understood the problem, I think he had probably even witnessed financial abuse. He's going to take care, careful care here, and that's what we're going to talk about today, is the care that he took in this Corinthian offering, and he's going to provide us principles, I think, to help us understand how we as a church, and not only we as a church, but I think how even we all as a congregation are supposed to live with integrity with the money that God's entrusted to us. So here's kind of my main idea that I think he wanted them to have is I think he wanted them to have confidence in God's grace. I think he wanted to have confidence also in God's grace with the integrity of the process that he's going to explain to them. Now, at the very end of this, what I'm going to try to do is connect the dot and show you, and I'm going to have Mike Steinwender come up, that the same similar process that they practiced 
that Paul was talking about here in a lot of ways guides who we are because I do not want anyone ever to accuse Cornerstone of not having integrity with their money. All right, so that's what we're going to go today. And he's going he's to do it by looking at, at three different brothers. He's going to look at one, if you look in, in verses 16 through 17, this kindred brother. The next one he's going to talk about is this famous brother. And then the very last one that he's going to look at is the earnest brother. Now, here we go. Look down at verse 16. This is where we're going to be going. He says this. <coughs> he says, but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you, for he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. Now here's a principle that is hugely important to how I think Cornerstone and churches in general should handle money. The leaders within the church should not touch the money. Now, I say that from this standpoint, one of the things that is so important to me as a head shepherd here, and also along with all of our other elders and pastors and shepherds here, is that we do not handle the money. Not only do we not handle the money, I have no clue how much anybody in this church gives. I don't want to know how much any of you in this church give because I never want to have a bias. I never want in the back of my head to think, now I might surmise it, but I never want to think that somehow I'm going to treat anybody within this particular church differently based on how much they give. And also, I never ever want to stand in front of you and hold back from you truth from God's word because I'm worried about what so-and-so might give. Paul was saying we need to distance ourselves from it. You need to find trusted people to do it. He literally was saying in order for us not to be accused of anything, we're going to send others that are trustworthy to be able to do this. Now he's doing it specifically when we talk about Titus in this way, is he said to him he was eager to do it. And I think this is another reality that we're talking about. Initially, Titus wasn't eager. In fact, if you remember right, Titus was the one that took the letter from Paul to the Corinthians. It was the severe letter. And I think when Titus was shown up there, the context and the way that the whole book of 2 Corinthians reads is it wasn't something that he necessarily wanted to do. He didn't want to show up and say, hey, bad news. Yeah. But something happened to him in his experience that as soon as he showed up, even with bad news, his heart got totally changed. Now, I can kind of understand this in a way, and I don't know if any of you have ever gone on a mission trip before, but sometimes I'll go on a mission trip and I don't know really what I'm going to be doing there, but the moment that I meet the people there, my heart just begins to change for them and I become sometimes their greatest advocate. What's so crucial here to understand Titus is one of the people that is going to be handling this money has a huge heart for the people that he's receiving the money from. You should never entrust money to people that don't have a heart for the people that are giving. We know this about him is that he was, it says in there, eager about it. It was so heartfelt that even then, when you look in verse 17, he went of his own accord. Why? He just loved them. Now, I think Paul is brilliant here. I think what he's doing is, 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 is wonderful because what he's realizing is, is I need a person that's going to handle the money that has my heart, that the heart that Paul received from Christ, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. The person that is going to be handling the money has to have a heart for the right things. And this is what Titus had. 
It was a heart to manage the money well. It was a heart that loved the people. It was a heart that wasn't just taught, but it was something that was caught. And I think one of the beauties of what Cornerstone has is a history that started way back with Francis Chan when he started this church, whether you know who he is or not. When he planted this church, he was going to make sure that Cornerstone always had a habit of being transparent with their money, even to the point where anybody that calls Cornerstone home can come look at any our, our finances, can, can look at our budget. We can explain it to anybody if they want it. We just want everything to be transparent. You can look at my salary. My salary is right out there to be found. Now, you may be surprised that I make $500,000 a year. No, I really don't. <laughs> I make four fifty. dollars No, I, you know, I don't. <laughs> but I, I, I make around $80,000 a year. We don't hide that. We put it right out in front of you, and I think just this is something that the reason that we do it is that this was a practice that Francis started. Never forget this. A majority of how we work through our giving is something that is taught, but more importantly, it is caught. If you want to effectively transfer to people a heart for giving like Paul did for Titus in spending hours with him as they traveled everywhere, don't just talk to people about giving Teach them by showing them how to give. One of the things that my wife and I have realized that we haven't done well in our kids' lives, right? Whether it's our kids or somebody that we disciple in Jesus, is that we need to actually model in such a way that they can watch our giving. Why? Because we want our kids to also have a heart to give. We want to fuel their mind with the grace of Jesus and, and allow them to come into the grips of who Christ is in their life. But we want that to result in an action of generosity where they don't hold on to their money. And so in some way, it becomes like a sponge that then soaks up God's grace only to stink a few weeks later. We want them to be a conduit of God's grace. And so therefore, not only do we need to teach them, but it is something that is caught. They watched it in us. They saw generosity. And I think this is where we kind of gather these principles as we look at this kindred brother, this one that was, that was Titus, the one that Paul loved is this. Titus had a heart for the same earnest care for the Corinthians that Paul had. That's so important. We don't want anybody to handle the money that doesn't love us as a church here at Cornerstone. I think Titus had been taught and had caught Paul's heart for giving. We don't want people to handle the money that they don't have the heart of Christ for how our money is to be dealt with. Those are the two things. Now, here's the next one. Let's look at this next guy. He's the famous brother, which is kind of ironic. He's the famous brother, and we have no clue who he is. Verse 18. Here's the next kind of set of principles we can gather from this. He said, with him we're sending the brother who's famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. So this is an important reality. This man is fervent about the gospel. He travels and preaches the gospel. People are aware of him. And not only that, but he's been appointed. That idea being that churches have voted on who they want to send. They chose him to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that's being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself to show our goodwill. Now in this, what we find from this particular guy is that Paul gave him no like commendation that was any higher than to say, this man's life is about the gospel. This is what he does. Literally the idea is, and I just wrote this down here, he's the brother whose praise in the gospel is amongst all the churches. People know the gospel shapes his life. The second 
doesn't tell us a whole lot, but then you see this other word. Look down in verse 19. We can see that there. He was elected. Now, Paul is being wise here. I don't think there's anywhere in Scripture that says we have to elect somebody to be able to do this, but what he was realizing was within the culture in which he lived, he didn't want to be accused of stacking the deck with his men. He wanted to make sure always that the ones that were handling the money, people knew of them. They were aware of them. They didn't in any way shuck and jibe with somehow being in Paul's little clique, which then tells us a couple things about this famous brother. He was so because of his passion for the gospel. That's a key reality of those that handle their money. He was elected by a show of hands so that people wouldn't think he was a Paul man, which I think that's the crucial issue here. We don't need a bunch of Todd men walking around this particular church. We need people that are Jesus men. And I would say this in this next part of it. Now watch, he's going to lay out for us two more. Look at verse 20. And we take this courage so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that's being administered by us. And here's the kicker. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Now this one is huge. So often I will hear churches talk about this reality that somehow... As an organization, the only person we have to answer to is God, which there's a truth to it. One day, all the pastors and elders of Cornerstone, according to 1 Corinthians 3, will stand before God and they will give an answer for how we shepherd this church, including how we handled this money. But I think what's going on here is something that is so lax and something so unnecessary because sometimes I'll hear this. We just need you to simply just, just pray and trust our brothers and Christians, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, I heard one guy this week, I listened to a message that he presented where he said, you have no right as a church to ever question your leaders. Let me just say this on behalf of all the leaders. Please don't be jerks about it, but you have every right to question us as leaders. Paul wasn't necessarily upset with them that they questioned him. He was just disappointed that they missed his heart and what they were doing. In fact, I really do think what Paul's laying out here when he talks about this idea of our aim, what is honorable, not only in the Lord's side, but also in the side of man, is that we too readily trust ourselves. We somehow think that, that, that we have too much faith in our own honesty. I've seen so many churches ruined. I've seen so many people ruined that get to the point where they think somehow their own integrity puts them in a place where they can never fall. And you know this, every one of us in here is only moments from, from falling. Paul's point is, is we have to put things in place, processes and procedures that may seem like they accommodate themselves to man, but it's not just to accommodate themselves to man, is that we never want to cause anybody within Cornerstone to stumble, and we don't want that world out there to think that the Jesus that we serve, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is anything other than worthy to be praised and worshipped. We don't want money to somehow in any way mar that. Sad reality is, it doesn't just affect how the church is able to carry out its various ministries when all of a sudden this happens. But there are even some of you, I would say, within this particular congregation, potentially, that have said, you know, I'm going to hold back on my giving because maybe I don't trust how this church is spending money. Now, that's one way to do it. I think it's the wrong way to do it. 
The right way to do it is, is if you ever do not trust any of the leaders, including me, even as the lead shepherd, in how money is either being handled or how it is being spent, we could actually be wrong. And actually, I think as brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to come talk to us. Come let us know. I, like I said before, there have been times in my leadership at Cornerstone here where I look back and I thought, you know, we, we probably should have spent that money differently. We make errors. But I don't want to rob from you the ability to give and thus to grow in the grace of Jesus Christ because somehow you look at it and say, I'm going to choose to either give around or I'm not going to give because I don't know if I trust them. That doesn't do any good for me. It doesn't do any good for the other leaders. And I would even say this, it doesn't do any good for you. See, the church is supposed to be this honest, transparent place. We're supposed to share with each other what's going on. We're not to be jerks to one another. We're supposed to, and you can just tell off this, we're supposed to be honest. If our goal as a church is to give every person an accurate picture of God, then even in our money and how we steward it, this is so important. I'm standing in front of all of you and saying this. If you have any questions, come talk. There's been several occasions where people have come and talked to me and I had to agree with them. There's been other occasions where I explained to them why we did stuff. But don't leave here today without in some way understanding I'm not going to hinder my giving by lack of trust. I'm going to go and I'm going to gain trust so that I might give like God's called me to give. Does that make sense to everybody? You with me? Okay? But nobody's shaking their head, and if you did, then you're not supposed to question me, dang it. Here's the key off of this. Where's it at? There it is. One more thought. Paul knew that few things would destroy his ministry as much as doubts cast upon his integrity in matters of money, and we don't want that. All right, here's the last guy. All right. Now, what he's going to do in verse 22 is he's going to name this third brother, which we'll just call him Ernest, all right? Because he's the earnest brother. He says this, And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters. Oh, thank you. Whoever did that? Oh, transparency is important too. <laughs> Am I okay now, I think? Okay, and with them we are sending our brother, whom we've often tested and found earnest in many matters, but is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. Now, here's what I think we see with this earnest brother. People that touch the money that's been shared in here should always be zealous to join God in what he's doing. They should have a heart for the mission of God. They should be able to look at that, the, the collection that has come in and to understand this money is not our money. It is money that's been entrusted to us by God. This money now is something that this particular guy, he wanted to do it. Many of you don't know her, but the person that gives oversight to all of our, our finances underneath, underneath uh, uh, Mike is Vanessa McPadden. Now, one of the things I love about her is she is earnest. And I found out she was earnest within just a few months after hiring her while Francis was still here. There was something that we were doing that was wrong. And I'll never forget, she went straight from her office to Francis's office and began to walk him through where he was wrong. I love that. Now, she did it with respect. She did it with grace. But anybody that knows Vanessa, when she gets her teeth into something, she don't let go. 
And I loved that about her. She was earnest. In fact, she'll always be talking about every penny matters. See, the way that we handle every penny, the way we, we keep every receipt, the way that we do everything that we do, the way that we sign with two people, the way that we handle our money from here to there, every last aspect of it matters. Why? And I'll tell you this, and, and, and just to say this, and she's probably going to be embarrassed that I've said this, we have been blessed with a lady that works in our finances who is earnest. She is phenomenal. Now, this particular earnest brother, it was not only that he was earnest. Look down there. Verse 22, he was also tested. It's the Greek word dakamazul. It really means trustworthy. Every aspect of what happens is the point is over time, a person should be tested before they handle money. They should be background checked. They should, they should be looked into. And not just because somehow the Bible doesn't say it, so therefore we shouldn't. But no, we want to be able to pass the test in front of our congregation and in front of our community, in front of our world. We are not in any way setting this thing up to fail. In fact, we're seeking to set this up to succeed to the glory of Jesus. He's tested. This guy was tested not just in the trip, but to do a trip at this particular time was not a fun thing. In fact, most people say, oh, it'd be so much fun to like be one of the people in our church who takes money from point A to point B because it's not very dangerous. Let me explain to you this world. In order to get from Corinth to Jerusalem, it was 1,200 miles. Now, besides the fact that that would be what? Maybe a two and a half hour plane trip? A healthy individual walking that distance would take two to three months. Now, don't get me wrong. I would lose this thing if I did it. So maybe we need to walk more in the giving of our gifts. But it was just this idea. It was arduous and it took a long time. The roads were filled with bandits. The roads were filled with opportunity to have things stolen. So this person that we're talking about here, this earnest brother, wasn't just tested and that they had done a background check. Over and over and over again, he had put himself even at a place of being harmed in order to get the gift from one place to another, even at the expense of the long, arduous journey. In other words, Paul's saying, we've looked into this guy, and to say he's earnest, this man is earnest. So what does that say? That tells us that this earnest brother won had a God-given passion and the energy to get the job done. He was confident the Corinthians would do it. He believed in them. He was found reliable and trustworthy over a sufficient period of time. He was tested. In other words, this should mark how we do our giving here at Cornerstone. Now, I get this particular message probably isn't the most exciting message I could ever bring to you today. But I'll tell you what. There have been so many churches that have been shipwrecked because they didn't heed this message. How we work together as a church, do you see things that need to be pointed out? You need to. Why? He talks about it a little bit in verse 23. Why? Because all these things come together for the glory of Christ. Your participation, not in just the giving, but in, in looking around. And, and if you notice things, let us know those things. Please don't sit idle. Please don't hold back your giving. Don't Please don't give around. Because one of the things we've noticed kind of in a time like this, and we'll go more into it next week as we, we lay out for you kind of the budget. Again, we're going to be transparent about that. 
is that the giving is down. And I don't know if it's a trustworthy issue that we're facing. Again, I don't want to twist arms. If you noticed last week, I didn't even take the offering. I don't want this to be now something that somehow you feel cajoled. But bottom line, I don't want just money to keep lights on. We need the lights to be able to do these things. I want giving because I want us to be shaped and molded into the image of Jesus. I want giving because I think giving is one of the greatest ways to find joy. I want giving because I want the glory of Christ to resound, not just in Simi Valley, but around the world. And so therefore, I think if Paul were sitting here, he would say to us what he said to the Corinthians in verse 24. So give proof before the churches of your love and of your boasting about you to these men. In other words, Corinthians, cornerstone, give. Find ways of generosity, not just a cornerstone. Find ways in how you share your money with one another, the way that you encourage one another with how you're generous with your finances. Learn this reality that we don't create savings for ourselves, actually. Savings all throughout the Bible is the beautiful means of being able to pass it along to others. The money that God entrusts to us, if it just sits there, will become like the Israelites who went out every day to collect the manna. And if they gathered too much and brought it in, it just turned to maggots. And I believe this over and over again. The truth of the, uh, of the gospels are so real that that man that hoards for himself things for his own pleasure and his own good will only find disappointment at the end of them because they will in some way turn to maggots. Be generous and find joy in Jesus like you never imagined. I don't want the money because we somehow need it in wrong ways. I want it for the glory of Jesus. Is this making sense to everybody? I think giving, like Jesus talked about, is so tied to our hearts that to not talk about it, it is a shame. And so that's why I think Paul's doing this here and why we're putting it in front of you. Now, I'm going to bring Mike up. If you don't know Mike, uh, in the same way that we're blessed to have Vanessa, we're blessed to have Mike. Uh, Mike is uh, the executive pastor here at Cornerstone. He gives oversight, including uh, to things like our money. And I just want you to know kind of how we handle money so that you can see and test and approve uh, whether or not this kind of falls in line with it. But uh, yeah, I'll just turn it over to you. I've said too much. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. Yeah. Well, if you guys don't know me, I'm Mike Steinwinder. As Todd said, I'm the executive pastor, and I kind of have a unique role here in kind of managing the, the church, per se, the operations of the church, which includes, you know, the ministries, the staff, the, the facilities, the, the administration aspect of it, and, and uh, it is a blessing to be here. I want to let you not know that, but Todd, you forgot that part of that story in Uganda, how you guys stuck me in the front of the van um, I don't know if you guys have ever been there before, but driving is a unique experience there. Um, I couldn't believe why these guys all ran to the back of the van, but in the front of the van, as the driver's driving all over the road, you know, missing pedestrians, missing vehicles, these guys are chuckling in the back because I've got white knuckle grip on the front of that dash thinking, what am I doing on this particular trip? But thanks for that nightmare that I just reminded me of. <laughs> But anyway, so as Todd's teaching through this series, we thought it would be a good idea for, you know, for me to get up and kind of talk about how we 
handle the funds at Cornerstone. And, you know, we have a lot of new people that have come here uh, to Cornerstone recently. And, and uh, it's been a while since I've been up here doing that or presenting the budget. But, you know, we want to make sure that you guys know that at the money that comes into Cornerstone, uh, we believe is handled well here. Now, as Todd said, we won't do everything perfectly. But is our purpose and our desire to make sure that whatever we do, we, we do it with an, an honoring of the Lord and use of his funds. So it's kind of, it's very important for all the, I can speak for the rest of the elders, the pastors and the staff here that, um, and especially even for my heart, that you guys know how we do handle that resources here. And, and there's a number of reasons why we do what we do. And number one is we want to be seen as an organization that is above reproach in every aspect of using this money. We want to make sure that the gifts that the Lord's blessed us with are used for his purposes, not ours. It's not our money. It's his money. So I want to make sure that everyone knows that when we, when this money comes in, we're not holding on to it. Uh, this money actually is used to, for the ministries of the church and then goes out uh, to support his work around the world. We also want you to know that the body, that all of you in the body, we take serious on how we manage those donations in a God, God honoring way always to ensure that, as Todd had said, that you guys trust us in everything that we do. And also we want to ensure that no one, as Todd mentioned, especially on the outside, can look at Cornerstone and say that we did not use the money well or that we have misused the funds. So it's so important to us that you guys know and that we have these policies and procedures and these things that we do here at Cornerstone to make sure that that doesn't happen in any way. So as Todd was teaching, I don't want to kind of reiterate what he taught on, but there's a number of reasons and, and perspectives of why we do things. If you look at verses 16 through 24, there is a God-given desire, right, to serve. And so Paul didn't draft Titus. Titus wanted to do this. And so this is the same kind of heart that we want our staff to have, is that we want them to have a desire to serve in this, to know that that they are, they are uh, shepherding this money, whether they're in their particular ministry as children's, or whether it's in adult ministries, or even if it's just in our facilities, that they are serving with us in that. We want to make sure that everyone that handles the money at Cornerstone has a burden for lost souls. It is so important for us as a staff to know that the money that gets used is for soul-winning purposes, right? To advance the gospel. We want to make sure that, as Todd mentioned, there's a desire to honor God in everything that we do. That's first and foremost on our hearts, to make sure that everything we do is seen by Him because it's his resources and not ours. And we want to make sure we have a, a reputation of honesty in everything that we do. That's why Todd mentioned our books are open. Anyone can come and ask to take a look at that. Matter of fact, we've had people come out and, and ask and set an appointment up to say, I want to see how this money gets used. And we've laid the books out for them. Here's our processes. Here's what we do. Here's how the money gets handled. And you have to tell you, most people are very satisfied with it when they come back. And, and importantly, also, we want to make sure that the people that serve in the ministry that handle this money, including even our ushers, our counters, the people that help, they all have a cooperative spirit, right? The Titus not only had a heart for his ministry, he knew and wanted to be a good team member, right? And we want to do the same here uh, with everyone at Cornerstone. So as Todd mentions, is we don't, you know, we don't own this money. This money is actually the Lord's money. And I wanted, and I thought it was important so you can see the transparency and accountability. So I'm going to kind of summarize just some of our processes that we have so that you can be ensured that uh, what Todd told you today is true in fact. Okay, the offering is collected by a group of ushers, right? And they're under the supervision, supervision of our security team. So we usually have officers that walk with them. 
So that money is collected it's, as you guys uh, uh, pass it through the baskets. And that money is walked back to our conference room where it is kind of sorted, checks, cash, coins. It is always under the supervision of multiple individuals and our security team. It doesn't, the security team doesn't walk out of that room while they're in there. On top of that, basically what happens when they're done, they put that in a locked envelope that will go into a safe. They don't have a key to that particular envelope. Once that envelope's locked, we have two individuals that will sign for that to say that that money was put in the envelope, it was put in the safe, and it's a drop safe. And so once that money gets dropped in there, I don't have keys to it. Todd doesn't have keys to it. Matter of fact, our finance department has separate keys to that. It takes two keys to open up that safe. Um, at that point, the cash is on a, on a Tuesday morning. The team will get together to, to go out to that safe, pull the money out, and they wind up separating the cash. That cash gets bundled into a secure envelope, and, and an armored car actually comes and picks that up. So it's not being, it doesn't sit around, it doesn't sit in the safe. We have this process where that money and that cash gets taken, not by us. Now, there's been an occasion here and there where the armored truck hasn't come, and we've actually had to gather some individuals, and we will go take that ourselves. But 99% of the time, that money is picked up by an armored uh, car. The checks that are left over, those are scanned into a, to the banking system, and then those are, uh, I believe they're either bundled up and sent to the bank, I, have to, I actually have to verify that, Vanessa, but basically those are just secured. And, and once those funds are transferred, people can't go in there and modify those checks. Um, Cornerstone, uh, and on top of that, has many policies and procedures and checks and balances for this documentation and, and what we do. Um, all the income and expenses, um, any individual touching the money in any way, their background check, as Todd had said. We wanna make sure that there's integrity in those individuals that it's someone that we can trust that actually touches that money. And at no time does someone that is not background checked touch any funds at Cornerstone. Each fiscal year, the elders are per perfectly approve a budget. And that budget is a, is a process where we engage the ministries uh, in what do they need to actually operate in the church. And Todd's always one that is uh, asking those individuals to dream on what they wanna do for the ministry. How can they better support the Lord? How can they better support the families? How can they better support you in that? And so that budget is reviewed and is approved by your, the elder board that we have here. And so then based on that annual budget, the expenses are either approved, they're either denied, or they're possibly postponed based on the cash flow that comes in uh, with Cornerstone. And, you know, there's times where uh, we have a, a weekly uh, budget that we uh, of, a, of a contribution that we expect to come in. There's times we're above that where there's times that it's exactly what comes in and there's times where it's quite low. And so we base our expenditures and we pay things as that cash comes in and goes out of the, uh, the facility. Uh, expenses require documentation, including an original receipt, along with a description of how those particular funds are gonna be used uh, for, for a ministry purpose. People just don't get to go spend money. It's something that they're engaged in. If they're gonna go out and do a, a youth camp, there's a budget for that youth camp and they stay to that budget. Um, check payments to vendors and reimbursements requires, Todd mentioned, two signatures. There's four people at Cornerstone that can sign those checks. Primarily it's myself and Terry Irwood. Todd has signature authority and Jen Yun has signature authority. Vanessa, who Todd had mentioned, uh, has the ability to sign checks on an emergency basis, but she, she doesn't. We don't want her because she knows the funds and what's going on. We don't want her to have the ability to sign any checks. Um, monthly bank, bank reconciliation is done by Vanessa. 
uh, and is completed by, uh, she signs off for that. While my role as the executive pastor, I see all those bank statements. Anything financial comes into me and I review it and I double check for check and balances. Um, and Vanessa doesn't even see those until I get to see those things. So that's just another check that we can go. Is there anything being transferred? Is there anything being spent that's outside of the budget? Um, and so that's a check and balance that we put in place. Um, the finance department goes on and sends out monthly reports to each ministry department. And those ministry heads are responsible for that budget. They've been given a, a budget. We don't want to micromanage them, but we've given them X amount of money to, to, to perform their uh, ministry for the year. And those individuals are responsible for that. I hold them accountable for the money that they actually spend. And I will sit with them and talk with them if they're going over. If they haven't used everything, it's not that we just tell them, oh, go and spend it. We want to know why. Okay, you've asked for $5. Why did you spend $1 of that? And so this is just an ongoing uh, process that we, we have with these individuals. Um, our pastors and elders, as Todd mentioned, we don't touch the money. There's no reason for us to touch the money. We have teams in place that will take care of that. And at the end of the year, you guys may have just recently noticed you've got your giving statement. You'll notice at the bottom of that giving statement is a signature. That's my signature. But I don't sign that. That's a blind signature that's printed onto that particular document. As Todd said, we have no idea what the body gives, nor do we want to know. The elders don't know. The pastors don't know. The only staff that knows is Vanessa. And so you can be assured that we're not watching and looking to see what people do. There's no reason for that. And again, I want to let you know, our job is to handle the money that you've given, right? Our job is to make sure that we're partnering with you and that you can trust us in actually spending the money. And all the money that gets spent, I can assure you, is for advancing the kingdom. So that's kind of where I think I'm going to be coming up next week or the week after to kind of show you the budget. And like Todd said, every year uh, we, well, we haven't in the last couple of years, but we've been pretty busy doing other things. But our books are open. We kind of display the salaries of all the staff, get an idea of what everyone's making. We show you and I will show you probably next week or the week after how that money is used. Global children's ministry, students ministry and on and on. And so that'll give you hopefully you guys will be able to see that uh, that we are hopefully doing a world a job well done for the Lord. So right. thanks. Mike. Thank you. <clears throat> All right. Have everybody stand up. How much fun can you have in a church service talking about that? Huh? Come on. Good times. I want you to see that. We want you to make sure that you're aware you're a part of this body. In the next few weeks, I'm super excited about where I believe God's going to take us over this next year. And I can't wait to not only tell you about how we handle the money, but also what I believe is going to be the fun part is that where that money is going to go to advance the kingdom, not only here, but around the world. So in the name of our Father, our wonderful Father, who truly does own all things, there's nothing outside of his purview. There's nothing outside of his control. In the name of the Son, who then secured for us the opportunity to sit in the immense riches of the Father. The reason we don't need to be greedy is because we have everything. We have everything in Christ Jesus. And in case you're wondering if your inheritance is good or not, the Father then sent and gave us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. So in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, 
In the name of the Holy Spirit. God bless you this week as you go and live as a group of people that have everything with immense generosity. Amen. God bless you.